The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Gregory Ajid. Welcome to The Working Artist Project. Mr. Darian Douglas, how art thou this evening? Oh, thou art. Thou art, Greg. How about that? <laughs> nah, man, I'm doing great, man. It's good to see everybody. We're we having a, a very exciting, a very exciting show. And right off the bat, Greg, you know what I got to say. You know I got to say it. This say it. Podcast, this podcast is brought to you by Isotope. And <laughs> I know, right? We need, we need some theme music right there, man. You know, we had to pay the bills. We got to pay the bills first, y'all. If you want to be a sponsor, shoot us an email at secondlineartscollective uh, at gmail.com. All right, Greg, uh, I, we don't really have that much housekeeping. I think I think it's time to stop announcing the house, that particular housekeeping. And, and what do you think? We could just tell everyone, hey, ladies and gentlemen, we have this great camp coming up and uh, Marquise Hill and Jason Marcellus and all types of wonderful people are going to be there. And unfortunately, registration is closed. <laughs> if you really, really want to go, you know, DM us and we'll, we'll consider it. All right. So without further ado, today's guest is he's a percussionist. So, you know, he's a king, Greg, because all percussionists are kings, baby. And uh yeah, his name is Kofi. Kofi is, is a dope dude who I know just from around New York. He's played with people like Robert Glasper, uh, saxophonist Casey Benjamin. With He played with me. So you know he famous. You know what I'm saying? You know he famous. He played with me, Greg. He's got a, a brand new record out called Nation Time. I'm sure we're going we're gonna to put our ears on a little bit later. We're going to get into Kofi's background and uh, explore him as a person. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Kofi to the Working Artist Project. What up, Kofi? You. <laughs> hey, man. You know, I haven't played with, with, um, with Robert yet. I played with Casey, though. Okay, okay. All right. All so, right. Like, like, I like, I like had somebody help me with my bio. Oh, and so there was like, there was like, yo, you should put like that. I played with Casey. He, that he's from the Robert Glasper experiment. Oh, 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 oh I see. So it's a little, it's a kind of a hezzy. I don't know if you play basketball. It's a little bit of a hezzy. It's a hezzy. I um, <laughs> but you know what we're willing uh, it into the future now. So now that yeah, we're- I, I know those guys. I know all of them and, and stuff. But, Rob G, man, you gotta call. Yeah. You gotta call Kofi, man. Stop fucking around. Yeah, That's man, not- <laughs> he, he, he messed up. You got. We got to do. I was just watching. The he he. I know he loved Herbie. He got to do the modern new standard. You feel me? And I got to do that, the Don Elias right. role. You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Look, man, <laughs> Kofi, man, you know, we, we, we've we been kicking around New York for you. I've been here for nine years and I I, I think you're from around here. I don't, yep. really, I don't really know. Let's get into it. Let's get into it, man. Tell us, um, introduce our audience to, to who you are. Yeah, man. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm thank you for accepting my <laughs> self-invitation <laughs> um <laughs> uh you remember when we met we met on that um it was a hudson horns gig 
That joint with Jay. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. When, when, when randomly Jamie Foxx was there. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> and there was like a Jamie half Fox? a monsoon. Yeah, Yo, bro. Jamie Foxx was there. It was like an AOL or Time Warner. Yeah, like, like, like it was. It was wild. It was a. It was a wild event. Like one of those. It was just only, like only in New York gigs. Yeah, <laughs> like. It was wild. It was it was outdoors, but it was like a, a half a monsoon rainstorm happened, and we had to go into this under this tent, and like it was wild. We played for like thirty seconds. Yeah, yo, Kofi, do you remember <laughs> that he had a guy to carry his man purse? What? No, I did that? not remember that. <laughs> nah, because I only saw it when he was on stage doing the hosting. He was doing the shoot. He was dancing and stuff. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that was wild. That's that was how you, you know, it was like it was like two days. Of carrying your purse. Yeah, that's that's a different level of luxury. I, I gotta get me one. Somebody carry my man bag, bro. That's get the but, merch. You gotta have a merch holder. But yeah, I remember. I would only you know mention that because I remember meeting you then. I was like, okay, this guy he got some shit with him. <laughs> like he was like, it was like we had a good conversation. I'm just not used to. It was it was it was layered, you know what I'm saying? I can't remember everything we talked about. Sometimes you don't remember what you talked about with somebody, but you remember how you left the interaction. Um, when I yeah, you made them, you I remember, I remember, I would never forget you from that moment. But um, yeah, well, I'm from here, from born and raised in Queens, New York, Jamaica, Queens. Um, yes, like you know my my. My parents are not from Queens, though. My father was born and raised in Panama, in Central America. Um, my mother was born, but raised in born in the South, but raised in Brooklyn. She was born in Mississippi. My, my mother's side of her family is from Mississippi and Louisiana, New Orleans, Bogalusa, Louisiana, also Mississippi. Um, my father's side is from. Panama, but also um, Costa Rica. My, my grandparents are from Costa Rica. His parents are from Costa Rica, and they moved to Panama and had my father and his sisters, and then he moved to New York when he was like 14, moved to Brooklyn. Um, so I'm, you know, Black American and Afro-Latino. That's, that's my roots. Um, but yeah, you know, but I also grew up a lot in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is like my, my another home for me because it's like if it's my father moved to Queens like I'm from Queens born and raised it's like if I moved to Brooklyn right now and have my kids it was like that my father was in his 30s he's already a grown man when he moved to he was like it was like moving on up kind of thing like he moved out to Queens and get a house and you know build you know have a yard for your kids and stuff like that but he's from Crown Heights uh, my mother's from Bed Stuy so. Every weekend was in Brooklyn. I know more about Brooklyn than I do about Queens. I grew up traveling through Brooklyn more than Queens. Um, that's why I first started really playing professionally was that stuff in Queens and, excuse me, stuff in Brooklyn. And um, that's where I kind of made my bones. And so Brooklyn, Queens. I always say I was born, I was raised in Brooklyn, Queens, and Ghana in West Africa. Because that's another place I spent a lot of time um, as a kid, my, my parents are very, very like Afrocentric and like radically 
So like they changed their names. They only wore African clothes. They, you know, ate African food. You know, it was very like, you know, like I said, radical. You know what I mean? So that's what I was raised in. So my father and my mother, they started traveling to Ghana in the 80s, like around 85. I was born in 1986. So between 85 and 96, 97, my parents, especially my dad, had been to Ghana already like 15 times. He would go all the time, like every year, sometimes two or three times a year. So by 1997, I was 11 years old and I'd heard all these stories about Ghana. So I was excited. Um, and that was my first trip. It was in 1997 at 11 years old. And then between 1997 and 2007, um, I traveled to Ghana four times. Like every other summer, I would go for like three to six weeks at a time, staying in the village, studying, you know, hanging out, you know, getting in trouble, like, you know, regular stuff like you do when you're a teenager, messing with girls, <laughs> like just living, like, you know what I mean? I'll be by myself um, or with my brother, what was, which was like being by myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? We was young, kind of just living our life. We had people out there that was like family. So we would stay at their, their house or, or one of their properties. Um, but that's like my upbringing. It's like growing up in the neighborhood, being surrounded by music in my neighborhood. My father was a, was a musician alive, but retired, but you know, is, was a musician. My father did the same thing I do. He was a percussionist, but he played timbales, so timbalero. So I grew up with drumsticks and percussion instruments and, you know, go traveling back and forth from Ghana, having, you know, my father was a drum collector. He didn't play any of these drums, but he would just bring back like shipments of drums every time he went to Ghana. So after all these years, 20, 30 years of Ghana, now in my family collection, we have probably over like 40, 50 drums. Um, so I grew up with these drums around me and learning this you know, music. It's like even more to it than I could even say <laughs> right now. It's like deeper than I'm even saying. This is like the really abridged version, but I feel like it's important if somebody would want to know why I am the way I am, why I'm interested in the things I'm interested in, or why my music might sound a certain way, or why I'm, you know, politically engaged in certain things that I'm that I am, um, you know, why I'm interested in my community, you know, um, all of that is is the foundation of that, you know, kind of being very Afrocentric and, you know, um, nation building, you know, minded, um, but also very New York streets, very like, you know, I didn't go to like, I, I my school journey was very like, you would never know. <laughs> like I like got kicked out of schools and you know what I mean? And, was getting in trouble, arrested, like got kicked out of two different high schools and I'm getting my GED. Like I was, my life was supposed to go a whole different direction, but music really, like my love of music really just kept me, my love of music and my fear of my father. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's why people talk about, you know, oh, they didn't have a father around. It's like, you don't really know what that is 
until you see how it affects someone not having that kind of presence or you don't you don't or you don't know the opposite unless you like for instance me growing up on my block in my neighborhood most of my friends didn't have day pops you know what i'm saying so i saw that was like a big like factor into why you know at the fork in the road i went right you know what i'm saying my dad that presence you know <laughs> it was impactful to say the least yeah, that just that's beautiful, man. Yeah. And, and now yeah, I remember man. our conversation from like seven okay. years ago. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we, we, we talked about Ghana, and and uh, mm. my wife's uncle is on here, and he he was just asking, like, were y'all a part of like the, the Ghana campaign, like the year of return? You know, how so, yeah, okay, you know, so, I, I remember mm-hmm. us really going deep into your experience in Ghana because at the time I was, really yeah, wow. Like, you remember that? We, 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 you know, I, I, it's like it's like now it's coming back. You know how it be, bro. I be we yeah. be in it, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, no, the year of return. Um, that's like something that is incredible and amazing, but it's you know it's new. You know what I mean? And this coincides with a certain kind of numerical anniversary kind of thing. But we've been traveling to Ghana. Like I said, my family been traveling to Ghana since 85. Like consistently, you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> you know, my name, Kofi, is, I was born in 1986. My name, so my family in the 80s were already, all my siblings, we all have Ghanaian names. Particular, in particular, Akan names, right? So based off that naming system that exists through the Akan people in West Africa. Um, this, these day names. So my name is the male name for a boy. Uh, uh, the the excuse me, the name for a boy born on Friday is Kofi. So that you know, this kind of philosophy, incorporating these these ancient African philosophies into our lives as African Americans. You know, my parents were on that in the seventies and eighties. You know what I mean? So uh, that's how I was raised. It was like a lot of the things that are coming popular now, there's always been communities of people that have been living this way, right? Literally since back to Marcus Garvey days, like we can trace it back. These these, com- these communities have always existed, but you know, I think there's just more visibility now, which is great. Movements like the Year of Return and stuff like that. So one of my good friends, family friends, Diallo, Diallo Sumbri, he's one of the people who, He's a, he works with the Ghana Tourism Board. Like we were raised similarly. His parents were also in the Khan community, um, in the uh, you know African art community, drum and dance and stuff like that. So another thing that I'm a part of. Um, so yeah, man, the, the year return is dope. We've been we've been involved with that that kind of philosophy and mindset for thirty something years, forty years. You know my. As, as uh, when I was a kid, I had a chance to go visit my uh, where my parents grew up in Switzerland, mm-hmm, and I feel like mm-hmm. that those experiences, like leaving the states and kind of seeing, you know, where where my family was Man. from, really had a huge impact on how I saw myself. And I was wondering if you could kind of dig into um, how how those 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 um, experiences in Ghana influenced like how you grew as a person and how you see yourself and maybe how that would have been different had you not had those experiences? Yeah, well, it impacted me in a way that you might not, that maybe, you know, 
unpredictable. In one way, it made for me so crystal clear that I'm not an African <laughs> in, in that way, where there, there's a difference in how I was, um, in my experience, right? Like, the, you know, literally, you know, phenotypically, the way I look, being raised on this side of the water, the way my ancestors are going to, in many times, in many cases, forcibly be, end up intermixing, right? I don't know, because of enslavement and things like that, I don't know what was going on. But I, I know being dropped into Ghana and West Africa, just by the way I look, I could walk around and be like, oh, it's something else going on inside of, <laughs> inside of what, I, what I got going on. There's, there's other parts of my experience that let me know that I am an, a descendant of Africans for sure. But my life and my, and, and this is, and by the way, this was, um, this was challenging, right? To, and to confront because for me, I was raised, I was not raised to say I was black. I was not raised to say I was African American, um, Afro American, anything like that. I was raised saying you are African. That's your, who you are. Your identity is that of African people. You should be proud of that, right? And then I get to Africa and they see me and the first thing they say is, oh, Bruni, hey, oh, Bruni, which means white man. So me, <laughs> right? Me with my, in, in America, I'm considered dark-skinned, right? I'm not a light-skinned person, a fair-skinned person, as they say which is an interesting choice of words, but um, I'm, I'm uh, brown, chocolate. I go to Ghana, I'm red bone, <laughs> right, right? So that, that was um, challenging to confront that. It, it, it's almost like a confrontation with my history, with the fact that my ancestors were, were, in some cases, might have been raped, right? Like, I don't know. Like, you know what I'm saying? All I know is I know I'm not 100% continental African. I know that, right? And I know that impacts my DNA. I know that impacts the way I view myself, the way I view the world, right? And I know that the, the way the world views me. Because when you go to Ghana now, things are shifting. Consciousness is shifting. Information is spreading. So things are shifting. Africans are becoming more um, conscious, as it were. Um, but when, in, you know, 25 years ago, when I was traveling to Ghana, it was like, hey, Bruni, Bruni, it was, you are a white person, white. You are a white person. You are a foreigner. Like, we see you as a means for us to come up. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm just being very, very honest. Like, you know what I mean? That's what, what happened then. But at the same time, I also, you know, was given the opportunity to see where a lot of our shit comes from, um, culturally, musically, um, just the way Africans are so <sighs> organized and orderly and the way they 
are so sticklers for protocol and um, tradition and ritual. Um, it, it shows up all throughout the diaspora, right? It shows up in the black church. It shows up in the in the, the projects, right? Like it shows up all around us. Um, for me, it it, it it did those two things, right? Which is a, a paradox that is unique to the, you know, black American or, or African American, which is this like bifurcated, you know, existence of of being this African, but also being this new thing, right? Which is this African American, which is this which is which is blackness, right? Which is blackness, which is its own thing. It's not Africanness, right? It's a it's 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 deriv it's der derivative is derived from that, but it's not that. I can say that confidently because I have lived, I've been immersed in both experiences. When we would travel to Ghana, it wasn't just tourist stops. Like I was staying in a town called Ejisu, which is in the Ashanti region. That's where I spent most of my time. I have family there. I say family because they're not my blood family, but I've been around them all my life and they helped raise us. And we'd be there and be cooking, cooking for us. Or, you know, we, we, they'll be getting water from the well. We, you know, and we would see them come back with the water on the big basin on their head. And they had this big oil drum. It was empty, cleaned out oil drum. They would come with, with, with maybe like 10 gallons of water in the big basin. They would walk miles and miles back to the compound and they would come and they would slowly tip it over and the water would come. And that oil drum was the source of water. I would dip in that water and boil it and then put like a cap full of Dettol in it and then go into the bath, the bathing stall with my like kind of plastic sponge, my soap, little bucket, some Chaliwata, some like slippers, like shower slippers, I get in there and, you know, boil the water to so kind of disinfect it because the water had, I can't ingest the water because I'll be, have dysentery. <laughs> right, because I'm American. It's like you keep getting confronted with this shit in in real tangible ways that you are not from here. And if you are from here, it's been so long that the adjustment is like beyond what you can even comprehend. Right, but bathing out of a bucket, watching the food get cooked on logs, like a pot that's on logs. Right, like me killing a chicken or a goat or something like that with my own hand skinning it. <laughs> right, so like I've been fully immersed in that world and growing up here as well, fully immersed in this world, getting a chance to see how much I differ from that one and this one. Like, man, when so, you when you experience in such extremes, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how does it affect your ability to see the beauty? in the ease of American life. So, so yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like it brings things into perspective for sure, because I, um, I remember, you know, staying at, at my family's property. They had a, a, a building, apartment building 
and I had an apartment in the building, right? And we, there was no air conditioning. There was just a standing fan. <clears throat> and I think about something like it being so hot, but just having a standing fan. It's like when you when there's no other option, what is available becomes luxurious. Like, right? So it's like you have this different sense of gratitude because it's like, oh, thank God for this fan. Even though like the American in me was like, if I wish I could just crank up some AC in here. But then when you finally get AC, it's like, oh my God. It's like you cherish it so much because you, and but you get used to it. You get used to the heat. You get used to everything. And, and, and beyond get used to it, you, you love it. Like I, I grew to love that lifestyle of waking up, you know, to the sound of the aunties or the grandmas sweeping out the the door, the walkways or the hallways or the courtyard, which is all cement, and they got these um, brooms that are made from dried palm fronds. Um, waking up before the sun comes up. They say before the cock crows, right? Before the, the morning is technically the morning, you're hearing that. So you're going to get up early, 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's up doing something, getting ready. Like the town is, is, is bubbling at the, as, as the sun rises. Um, I'm just, I guess, to, in, you know, to bring it back to your question, I'm like reminiscing on Ghana and stuff, but, you know, coming back home or even like I remember the last trip I took to Ghana, I was there for two months for like, and for five weeks of that time um, or like, you know, something like that five and a half weeks of that time, I was in the village. I was in two different villages. One that was super rural and I was sleeping like on a mattress made of hay because I was in this little town in the mountains called Latte, Latte which is in the eastern region. This is literally on the, like, on the side of a mountain. Um, I, and that was like really rural. And standing in Jisu was like staying in Bed-Stuy, which is like bustling and a lot of stuff happening and shit going on, but it's not the city, city. You know what I mean? But it's not the country, country rural either. It's like a post office and a, and a you know, police station and like a, cell phone shop and people selling food and stuff on the side of the road and a big truck might come through with, with lumber on it like you know kids is going to school people it's like stuff going on latte was just like very bare um but you know in each situation it just what comes to mind is just gratitude you just get be, end up being happy for what you have and you just look at world, life differently. You hear people say stuff like, oh, yeah, these, these kids and these people, they were just, like, so happy, right? You hear these stories. People would go into these, you know, um, quote, you know, I guess impoverished, you know, areas. You hear, you hear people are so happy. It's because it's not because they're happy because you realize how much you don't need in life, right? And they're happy because this is the way people should live. Right. This this is this is actually the right way. That's where they're happy. You know what I mean? It's, it's not. It's no excess. It's no. It's no option of excess. So that's what it did for me. I think it just brings into perspective 
But I have coming back to Queens every time was just like, wow. You know what I mean? It was like back to the avenue. But like I said, I ended up loving, loving, loving Ghana. Like I, I, I had some wild experiences in Ghana too. I could tell you some stories. Um, but for the most part, it's just the simplicity of life um, is addictive almost. Man, I, I just I, I want to just jump in and, and thank you for for sharing all that because that's so so deep and profound and and I really appreciate how vulnerable and and you know just opening up about that entire experience was, yeah, was man. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I, I had a lot of what you said kind of resonated with me too when I got to visit Cuba. We went to Santiago, mm. a bunch of my high school students, and a lot of the stuff that you're saying too is like these people didn't have a lot of the same things mm-hmm. that we had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was just amazed at how happy they all mm-hmm. were. You know, it just just the sense of community and the 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 ability to connect with people was was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, it, Cuba's one of my that's one place I gotta go, man. You gotta go. Oh gotta yeah, go. you gotta go. It's yeah, just, man. People, the people are just incredible. Such incredible people. Um, but before before you you were you were telling us some of your stories about your time in Ghana, you mm-hmm. you made a comment about how music had had kind of like changed the direction in your life. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I was wondering, um, you know, if you could kind of further elaborate on on like, you know, sure. I, I know it's I I think it's like as an educator and as Darian and I are very intertwined in the whole nonprofit mm-hmm. um, grant writing thing and. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of times we we're always trying to sell our programming as an opportunity to to help people and and trying to change yeah. their lives and things like that. So I was wondering, is, is someone who who described themselves as going through that process, what like how how did music change your life and and what did it do for you? Okay, this is going to be a Kofi answer, um, which means it's going you're not going to know what the hell I'm talking about till like maybe two minutes in, um. But I got to start further back. So, like, I started, my my relationship with music starts in the womb, first of all, because my parents were artists. My father was a musician. He played with, he's a quote-unquote, he played in the world that might be considered jazz or, like, also, like, kind of avant-garde, though, um, experimental kind of stuff, using a lot of different, you know, African instruments and stuff like that. He was a part of this band called the Kotoko Society that was led by a guy named Kimati Dinizulu, who comes from a really great family legacy as far as like black art goes. Um, so when I was born, my parent, my father had already, would have already been playing for 20 something years when I was born. I'm the youngest of seven kids. Um, so I, when I came along, so much had already happened, right? My father was on his way out the door because our father retired from playing at like 40 something because which is early if, you know for a jazz musician you know what i'm saying you'll be playing until we kill over if you let us you know what i mean uh you know us who like you know whatever but um yeah he um had like an actual real degree and a real job though and had seven kids and my mother passed away when i was four years old so he was a single dad with a bunch of kids like Music wasn't cutting it. Um, he ended up just getting some real jobs. Ended up working for the city for 30 years as an executive for the Board of Health. Um, 
My father was the executive director of minority health for the city of New York for like 30 years. So he worked on a lot of programs in the 90s that were um, centered around like HIV and AIDS and safe sex and stuff like that. And, you know, pioneered a lot of stuff around that. But music was always around me um, from when I was young. From my dad playing, my mother really was a great fan of music. So it was always around. Um, and my first time, like, making a step out to want to be involved with something musically was in, I was about nine years old. I joined, like, my school had, like, a glee club. I, like, auditioned and, like, sang, like, I think I sang, like, the Star Spangled Banner or something like that for an audition. Got in and, like, you know, we, we did a show also like a play it was it was actually around jazz my my teacher at the time was into jazz she did this thing called the magic school bus a journey through jazz and i played <clears throat> pops i played louis armstrong who i have like a really strong connection with and he like is a recurring thing in my life that i can touch on too but i remember just doing that performance i was like "Ooh, i like this <laughs> you know what I mean? I remember I did my research on him. He used to, they said he used to have a handkerchief. I went and had a, got a handkerchief and like wipe my sweat. I was making like choices and shit. Like <laughs> I was a little performer, you know what I mean? So that was the the beginning of me. That lit the spark as a performer for me. It was at nine years old that year, singing in the Glee Cup and being in this play. Um, and it was around jazz. And I, I had this cardboard trumpet. I remember getting into understanding this idea of jazz and musicianship and performance and all of this stuff around nine years old, it kind of just like sprinkled the dust on me. Um, and I never forgot it. Um, and in middle school, I got into like a, a full like choir um, called the chosen few. Um, I was in my neighborhood that was directed by this brother named Mr. PA who uh, passed away. God bless his soul. But I was in a choir in middle school and then in high school, I started rhyming. Um, I started rapping. Um, I had like a group with my friends. We had a manager. We did shows. We like took label uh, label meetings. Like we recorded a demo. Like we were like serious at like 15, you 16 years old. We were like, I had like a whole rap career. <laughs> you know what I mean? Locally. To this day, there's people who still remember me from like kind of digging my feet in as an MC, as a young kid. Um, and like drumming was always there. Like I said, I grew up in house. That's why I mentioned all of that earlier about growing up in a house full of drums. It's all around me. But and when you when it's all around you like that, you don't take it as seriously. It's just life, right? Like you just and, and all my cousins played drums. My older brother who didn't live with us, but um, he played drums. My dad, everybody drummed around me. So drumming, being able to play drums, wasn't special. Right. So I didn't think that this could be a career path or something viable that could add anything to my life. It was something we did in the, as in our community, something I did for rituals. Uh, it was a, a personal thing until. Um, so so in the connection to keep to keeping me, you know, to keep me out of trouble was, you know, I was about. 20 years old, 21 years old, I um, 
And that was like the fork in the road time. This is like high school was traumatic. <laughs> like I, you know, I always say I got kicked out, not expelled though, but I got kicked out of my first high school because it wasn't an expulsion, but it was like a meeting with my guidance counselor. And she was like, so check this out. Um, you might want to go to this alternative school because they give a credit and a half as opposed to one credit. Because if you stay here, you're going to end up, you're not going to graduate on time and you have like no credits. You're supposed to be like, you're not going to class. Like I was just like, that's what was my thing. I wasn't like some like gangster, you know, brute. I did have an issue with authority and I did not like going to class. <laughs> I would go to school, but it was just to like get fly and talk to girls and battle rap in the hallway and stuff like that. Like that's, that's what I was on. I was always like, more interested in being cool than like schoolwork. Um, so I ended up going to this alternative school called Satellite. Like I kicked out of Satellite <laughs> and I ended up getting my GED and almost got kicked out of GED program. So this is important because I'm, I'm letting you, give you uh, at this time, I'm like beat up by the world, right? I'm 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. I'm like getting kicked out of places. I'm like, barely making it got my GED by the skin of my teeth and I, and in middle school I was already I was messing up in school too I got like left back in seventh grade right I also was dealing with trauma my mother passed away when I was really young suddenly and it was like a malpractice thing how she died like she wasn't supposed to die like so it was like all of this shit is weighing on me you know what I mean so I was struggling with with being in a classroom setting, I needed a different kind of attention that didn't really exist at that time. So I'm a 19 year old kid with all of this kind of baggage and trauma and, you know, quote unquote failures and stuff like that. I didn't, I don't know what I'm going to do in my life. Right. And I grew up in the neighborhood where I grew up at Jamaican Queens where if I wanted to, and then, you know, you do little stuff, you know what I mean? Here and there, but then literally it, in, it, so quickly, those little petty crimes and stuff can end up being the big stuff quickly because people don't know. Growing up in the hood, people, people like, you know, how do you end up selling drugs or something like that? Literally, all you have to do is be available. <laughs> all you have to do is want to do it. And it was all around me. Like, all my, my old, one of my older brothers, he was in the streets hustling. And we was chilling with his friends. They're like 10 years older than us. But I'm 19, 20. They're like, they really was like 20 years old. They was like 40 something years old. I'm like 20, 21 years old, hanging around them. If I wanted to sell cocaine, I'd come to them and be like, yo, front me some work. <laughs> and they would literally give me the drugs for free. All I would have to do is get, bring the money back and then they would pay me. And now I'm a drug dealer. Right. You don't have to have money to get in the game like when you got connections that way. So I'm saying that to say that I, that was easy. That was the easy route. And by the way, that was a route that all my friends that were the same age as me were taking. Literally every single one was all like, oh, yeah, we just sell drugs. Duh. Like, I'm not going to be broke. Like, we're not going to get no job. There's no jobs or anything. So how are we going to make money? Duh. Crime. <laughs> right. So it was like that was an easy option. Somehow, you know, I avoided that because, like I said, at 20 years, 21 years old, I got a job working at the airport. And um, I worked at the airport for about a year 
And that kept me out of the way because the schedule was so crazy. And then I left that job and I was like dropped back into my neighborhood. And around the same time when I was like thinking about getting in the streets, my family has always been deeply involved with drum, African drumming and dancing and culture. So my cousins have a summer camp that they would teach children um, dance and music. And, you know, it, would, it was an arts camp. So I remember going to my cousin like, yo, man, I ain't got nothing going on this summer. I'm 21 going on 22. I'm like, I just quit my job. I don't, I don't even know why I quit. I just didn't want to do it no more. Like, I don't have nothing going on. Can I just come work at the camp with y'all? He's like, sure. So I go to the camp and being there every day, working with the kids, it changed me. Like, it changed something in me. I had already gotten an opportunity to teach when I was 13 because I already, when I 13, by 13 years old, I already knew a bunch of rhythms and songs and music. Just from my culture, I already knew a bunch of stuff. So I was already teaching a drum class at 13 years old. But that was kind of a fluke. It's just like what a family friend knew I could drum. And I was always like a hustler kid. Like, let's, I want to get some money from young. Like, I'm talking about we used to sell sodas, sell Kool-Aid, lemonade, wash cars. Like, I was on that type of time, <laughs> like from early. So by 13, I was looking for a job. So, I, you know, she told me she worked at this camp. I'm like, yeah, I can teach drum class. Sure. And I'm doing that. And I remember even then it sparked something in me, like giving in that way, sparked something in me. So working at the camp at 21, throughout that camp, I remember I worked the hardest at that camp. I like, we would be drumming for the classes. And my cousins, they have a dance company called Asasaya African American Dance Theater. Now it's going at the 20 year anniversary. Um, but at the time, they was around for like six, seven years at that time. And I would come out after the camp day, I would go to the rehearsal. And there was this girl that was in the dance company who I had a crush on. So I was like, all right, now I got a reason to come to the rehearsal. Because before they were like, they was going to rehearsal. I'm like, I'm going home. But then once I see Shorty was there, I'm like, all right, let me go to, let me see what this rehearsal info. And then my cousins would be like, yo, man, pick up a drum, man. You can drum. Because it was like a thing of like, they was hustling for real, like, and building this company and building creativity out i was just like kind of playing with it and in that camp in that summer this is summer 2008 is when i was like i really love drum i, I, I always have found two of my like passions in my life that summer which is performing and using my body as an instrument essentially which is what it means to be a drummer and teaching and giving and imparting and instructing in that way they're the two things in my life there's like the pillars of my life. Um, and I found both of those at that time. So that's why I say music saved me in that way because growing up, I, I could have, should have, would have been a statistic. All the, all the like, I checked all the boxes. Single parent household, you know, kicked out of school, GD, getting arrested, all that kind of stuff. Like 16, 17, 18 years old, like, my family, my pops, they kind of had given up on me at that time. Like, there was no, like, push to, like, yo, you should do this. It was, like, by that time, 20, you already know. You know what I mean? Like, a black family, like, by 1920, you kind of on your own. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're on it. your own. 
<laughs> so like my pops, you know, I didn't have my mom. You know, you know, your mother always my baby, my baby. I didn't have that. It was a pops who was very stern, Panamanian, Brooklyn street dude, jazz musician, cat. Like you ever say, intellectual. Like just can't understand. Like oh, you maybe just going through something. Just like nah, get it together, motherfucker. <laughs> like so, but I needed more balance. So then I also would rebel against that energy because that's my spirit. My spirit is like that. Yeah, or whatever. Man. That's how I came to earth. It's it's interesting <laughs> uh, how music enters the picture right at the right time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of us, all maybe every musician has a mm-hmm. similar story. It was like, if it weren't yep. music, thank Straight God. Up. Music <laughs> <laughs> Had not been for the blood. Bruh. <laughs> no, but yeah. Like us, like, you know, that that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a crazy story, man. I, I want to, we, we, we've been out, you know, man, we only have an hour, you know, we, we, we chopping it up. And my you, bad, my bad. No, 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 no. It's, all <laughs> it's been great. I, I want to give, make sure we hear the, the beauty um, of your music. Uh, you know, I want our folks to hear it. So this one, you got to help me pronounce this for my brother. Okay. In, there we go. You already knew. So, in Tokwa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, put your ears on this. Here we go.
See, bro, we can't we can't give them too much of that Kofi. <laughs> they, they gotta they gotta go out here and buy that. You know, that's right. right that's right, right. Right off the bat, man, that that was a true vibe, man. And it's something. Thank you, man. Something special was in that the energy of that song. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I felt I felt the intimacy there, and and for me at the beginning, were those the brooms? That's what I that's what I wrote in the so, chat. So so like brooms to me. <laughs> so actually, what at the beginning is water. So it's like the way the album, the album is what I, the way we curated it is it's best to be listened to like straight through, right? Like it's like something that's happened. It's all connected. So before and talk wise, this interlude called Asuya, which is um, dedicated to Oluwatoyin. She was murdered uh, that year, a 2020 young Nigerian sister. And her giving her speech, you hear the water. And the water is actually water drumming. So there's these women in Cameroon. This is video, just like anybody else. I'm on, like, I think I was on Facebook or something at the time. And I came across this video of these women drumming on the water. And they were doing this rhythmic thing in the water, using the water as percussion. And it was just blew my fucking mind. And it was to me also symbolic because to, in African cosmology, cosmogony, water is always represented by the feminine and in the way that water can nourish or destroy in the way the feminine can, <laughs> right? Like, um, you know, it, that strength in the, also the softness and the, the, the water. So, and then it, that carries, that energy carries into in Tokwa, which the word in Tokwa is a word from the language tree, from from the Khan people from Ghana, West Africa. And in Tokwa means like struggle or fight. Um, and the song people people often think when I say struggle or fight, I'm talking about like the struggle for liberation, which is always on that. But in that particular piece, it's not about that. It's about the internal struggle between the black masculine and black feminine, um, this like eternal um, relationship that can never be separated. But there, it in the core of the relationship is the tension and the the um, conflict that makes both sides strong. Um, so it's just the beginning. It's just. Water energy, which, you know, just represents cleansing. Um, and I also sonically love the way the water sounded with the drums. I was playing the talking drums um, that's, on the, that's on the track. Cause, and the song itself, if people hear it, there's a conversation that takes place between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin, um, two great American writers and orators um and in the conversation they have and it's like I, f- I felt it was so brilliant how the way they conducted the conversation because they both conducted the conversation in a, in a way that they represented all feminine and all masculine james baldwin is talking about my wife and my kids in a way where we know james baldwin wasn't going to have a wife and kids like that, right? But it wasn't about that. He wasn't talking for himself. 
he was representing a whole aspect of his community. And it was so beautiful to me and selfless, this dialogue between these two power houses. So I wanted to, I feel like they signified the way and, and the way they did it with love. I, f- I feel like was exemplary of how we can and should always handle these conflicts that happen between, I'm going to say men and women. I'm just going to say that, um, that I saw happening uh, on the internet in 2020. Everything on this album is, is, is a result of what I saw happening in 2020 as a result of the lockdown and the way we were all kind of like breaking through to the other side as, you know, good old Jimmy Morrison would say. Bro, that's deep. Um, man, what, what can you, um, uh, are, did you compose all the tunes? Like how, what is your composition process like in something like this? And, and I've always right, right. Been, like as a percussionist and drummer, do you like also mm-hmm. play any harmony instruments or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you see, I said my whole life story at no point in that. Did you hear me say I was at a jazz mobile or Berkeley eight week, <laughs> ten, whatever the fuck, you know, camp or, any of that kind of shit, like, I was never at any camps, any composition. I, I never had any of that kind of stuff. Like, what I did have is my brother convinced me that I should ask my aunt to get me a keyboard for Christmas when I was, like, 10. He was like, you should get, you want a keyboard, don't you? I was like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, sure, keyboards are nice. He's like, yeah, you should tell him to get your keyboard. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I did. So I've had like a keyboard in my family, in my house, in my life for a long, long, long time. So I've been keep, I've access to a keyboard. So I would like mess around and I'm just kind of grateful, lucky, whatever. I think it's a mixture of the very rich music diet that I grew up with and just my, just God. You know what I'm saying? Like between like recognition of notes and having some familiarity of working my way through a keyboard. Um, and and then at some point in my 20s, beginning to kind of like, it really started for me just kind of like trying to make beats and like kind of just get my ideas out through my like little MIDI keyboard and just focusing on like shapes with my fingers and stuff like that. That led to me, and I sing too so i can hear music i can hear notes and, and melody and harmony um because of that i think um so everything was is i compose is by ear so it's just kind of like i get in front of a keyboard or a piano and all the deep listening i do of of different kinds of music kind of shows up when i'm at when i'm at a keyboard and sometimes it is deliberate I can say, I want to make this kind of thing. And then I can try to find that with my ears. Or sometimes it, it, it just kind of like strikes me like a lightning bolt. The other song I sent, which I don't know if we have time to play now because <laughs> I'm so fucking long-winded. Um, but but I just be like wanting to make sure I get certain things out whenever I'm speaking to a group of people. But because um, I'm on a mission, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, like, the, the song I wrote, Ride of Big Floyd, it was like that. It was like a lightning bolt. It was like the idea just came and literally I just kind of like mashed it. I remember my computer wasn't working at the time, so I had to use GarageBand on my phone 
I just kind of mashed out chords. I don't know. I just heard the chords and then I sung the melody into my phone. I'll do that too. Like I'll sing, I'll just get a melody idea and I'll just sing it into my phone. Sometimes I'll get a drum pattern idea, but usually I'll get a melody idea. And then I'll like just using my ears, kind of come up with some chords around the melody that makes sense. And then also being a songwriter, I understand song structure and also playing in jazz ensembles for so long. I understand composition just kind of innately. I understand what the bridge is. I understand what the head is. I understand what these kind of broad, more broad concepts are. So then I'll just like, the biggest aspect of all of that is just balls. Somehow, like I just got balls where I'm like, yeah, this fucking sounds good to me. So this is what I'm doing because it's how it feels good. Like, so I'm just riding with it. (laughs) Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a certain aspect of it that's that. Yeah, you know. I love it, man. You gotta have balls. You know, my, <laughs> my wife from Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? I said that was mad New York. was mad New York, right? Okay. My wife from Canarsie. So I oh, okay. You know, okay. But you, you know, have I, some calzones. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Dig it, man. We 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 coming up on time. I just want to say one yeah, thing, one thing, and then we're gonna end this. And, right on. And, and that is I think that sometimes we as a people. Forget, and I'm talking about Americans here. Forget mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that music, music comes from inside. It's a gift mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. the universe. Music ain't on nobody page, and it ain't in nobody school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we place these parameters on music that don't exist. And yes, and, and that and it forces a certain type of musician to live on the mm-hmm. the fringes. Uh, especially yes. in the professional sphere. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of that is 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 fostered by the institutions, though, too. I That's think, I mean. like, these, these, yes, you know what I mean? Like, these learning institutions, these schools and camps and the, that kind of world, they impose this idea of what is... Things. I think that's one of my greatest gifts is that I didn't grow up in that. So, like, I truly am coming from a place of just trusting my taste. Mm. Right, like I, there's no like imaginary professor looming over my head. Like, no, that doesn't you can't connect those. That quarterly doesn't make sense. It's like I'm just like doing what I feel. There's no like I don't. There's no jazz police. Yeah, you know I mean, like I have no like any of that shit. So. Yeah, I got I got some real vulgar thoughts that I'm not gonna say right now, Greg. You already keep it gangster, my G. Keep it gangster. That's such a true thing about schools. Like uh, for a lot of these subjects, not every subject, but schools just imitating what exists already in life. Mm-hmm. And I think we've like we see it backwards now, where life exists in school, and you know, like people play music all over the world, and schools just you know trying to cram it all into a building <laughs> <laughs> they gotta get, say they, they guess they hustle man they gotta I get feel like i always say like too. <laughs> if my kid if my kids want to be musicians i'm not going to say don't go to school but i ain't going to try to send them to school for music like my thing is you can go to school for something else business learn how to run your business learn how to if you really want to be an artist we're going to get seen but for music I'm going to go send you. If you want to play drums, you're going to go with your uncle Marcus Gilmore. We're going to give him that money. You want to play piano, we're going to go with your uncle Samora Pendehues. Like, you know what I mean? That's who you're going to go with your uncle Boom if you want to learn bass. 
Like, I'm going to send them to the cats if you want to play. You know what I mean? And, and go out on the scene. Go sit in and embarrass yourself. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and go to school for accounting or some shit like that. Or <laughs> something you can go get a job with. <laughs> like, go to school for something that something, someone can actually teach you. <laughs> Right, right. right. <laughs> Thank you. How about that? <laughs> it's like, I can't teach. All right, y'all. Look, man, this is fun, man. We having a good time. Y'all. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Look, Thank you, guys. We, 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 we coming up on time as we always do. And it's very unfortunate. But before we go, Kofi, we want to give you the opportunity to tell all our listeners where they can connect with you on the socials, how they can buy your custom drums and t shirts and That's right. all that That's stuff. Right. Where, where can they get, get at you at? Again, thank you. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I do not take this lightly. I don't be getting a lot of opportunities to come and, t- you know, wax poetic. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I'm great. I'm grateful to, to talk over time. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't have a Facebook anymore because Facebook sucks and they keep locking me out and I don't know what the hell's going on and I give up. So I think Facebook is over for me. Um, the only so I have TikTok, which is just like follow me on TikTok, I guess. Um, <laughs> I have I have an Instagram, which is like my main hub right now. Just my name at Kofi Hunter. You can follow me there. That's really where I post any news of stuff I have going on. Um, uh, what else? Yeah, oh, record. you could buy the buy the music. It's on. It's everywhere you can get music digitally, but the best place to get it is, of course, on my Bandcamp site because i actually get money from that which is good getting money is actually good um for an artist uh i have some t-shirts and hoodies and socks up on my teespring go to teespring kofi hunter store um if you want to come see us live um i just i'm starting back my weekly residency at this spot called cafe erzuli in brooklyn every wednesday night it's like uh, two sets and then like a jam. Um, it's soul sets called Soul Sessions. Um, so we're doing like Jill Scott, Luther Vandross, Shaka Khan. Like we got Camila um, singing lead. Who's she's over at Ray Angry's thing on Mondays. But we've been doing this for a little while now. She's incredible. The band is great. Got uh, Parker McAllister on bass. Um, Dom Jervis Young Dom on drums. Um, this cat Idris Frederick on keys, and I'm playing percussion, playing uh, congas. Um, also, I'm bringing a band to Smalls on May 18th. I haven't officially announced that yet, but it's happening. <laughs> so, and I'm excited about that because we played before, but it was during the pandemic, like heavy. So it was like nobody there. This is my first time bringing a band in with as a crowd. That's May 18th. Um, yeah, I'm doing a sneaky solo set. Uh, May 4th at like midnight at the spot in Brooklyn. If you really give a fuck, you can highlight me and you'll find out about it. I didn't even ask if I can swear on here like that. Hopefully it's not little uh, babies. You, you know, me, what, yeah. We have a rated R explicit rating. You can okay, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> so as I was saying, balls, uh, balls, balls, balls. Um, <laughs> no, but so that's what's going on with me. And I hope people want to get involved and pull up on your boy i got more music coming out and more stuff that i am hesitant to announce yet too beautiful man kofi yo thank you so much for coming on on the show thank y'all greg nice meeting you brother 
man, pleasure to meet you. And man, I'm, I, man, I'm, I appreciate all the things you share with us today. It was, it was really, really great getting to listen to you. Thank you, brother. It was fun. I had fun. Darren, let's go. Let's hey, go. Let's do we it. We out here. We out here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, let them know. We out here. Yo, so look, man. All right. Uh, my name is Darian Douglas. And my name is Gregory Ajid. Y'all have a wonderful evening. Later. Peace, y'all.